forgot, Costa Rica recently became part of the OECD. Of the OECD. The OECD, and is one of the very, very few smallest countries that is now part of the OECD, which means now we have higher standards. Mm. I would like to see the example of Costa Rica being replicated, mm -hmm. becoming the hub for, for those models. But there's one, one or two conditions that I think are essential, and mm. one of those is democracy. Hello uh, and welcome to the International Business Today podcast. I'm uh, Professor Ravi Sarathi at the Demora McKim School of Business at Northeastern University. As you know from perhaps having heard, listened to, or watched previous episodes of our podcast series, we try to focus on international business topics that are of current interest and strategic importance to the practice of and the study of international business. My guest today is Professor Gustavo Barbosa, Professor and Jack and Veda Reynolds Endowed Chair of International Business at Loyola University in New Orleans. He's also the director of their Center for International Business. Our focus today is on doing business in emerging markets. Specifically, we're going to look at a small emerging market, Costa Rica. Gustavo, welcome. And I'm delighted to have someone who grew up in Costa Rica, who was originally born and a native of Costa Rica, to talk to us about some of the peculiar problems mm -hmm. that small emerging countries, markets like Costa Rica face mm -hmm. in trying to develop their country and to become part of the global economy. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ravi. It's a pleasure to be here today and join you in this uh, podcast to talk about uh, my country, Costa Rica, um, that I you know, carry my heart even after 30 years of living in the United States and on which my research now has uh, a special interest to continue understanding the roots for growth and or lack of growth mm -hmm. and the recent developments. And by recent, I mean the last 30 years uh, transformational uh, policies that have occurred in how a small country of just just about 5 million people mm -hmm. is becoming, you know, uh, a much more developed country. Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, in case uh, uh, my listeners here uh, haven't thought much about this, small emerging markets have relatively small domestic markets. They may not have the latest technology. They may have problems in uh, getting access to capital, and they may lack infrastructure institutions that are attractive to foreign companies. So the difficulty for any emerging market is how do we develop by creating better skilled workers, by improving productivity, by getting technology, and by being able to integrate into global value chains. But the first step is, of course, to ask, is this an attractive country to do business in? So, Gustavo, mm -hmm. would you like to start off by telling us a little bit about, is Costa Rica an attractive place Absolutely. to do business? Costa Rica today is probably one of the most attractive small open economies to do business in. As I said, the economy has gone through a transformational process mm -hmm. from being predominantly an agricultural exporting economy, better known for bananas, coffee, tourism, maybe pineapples, a couple more things uh, not too long ago, into an economy that today uh, spins tremendous amount of medical equipment, corporate mm -hmm. services, microchips. Chances are the microchip that you're running on your computer is an Intel design and produce in Costa Rica. So there are uh, uh, lots of opportunities. Mm -hmm. There is a very large component of the population that is considered high skill uh, because 
they completed high school on the one hand, might mm -hmm. have college education, but they are also bilingual. Oh. And so the, even though English is not uh, the official language in Costa Rica, the conversation is up in the air whether to make it or not. A significant amount of the population uh, speaks English in Costa Rica more so than any other country in in Latin America, I would say. So it is mm -hmm. very attractive in that regard. Yes, it is. And what about the political system, democracy specifically? That's another big point for Costa Rica. Uh -huh. uh, Costa Rica is the longest standing democracy in Latin America. Mm. It became independent in 1821, and it has remained independent with continuous free elections every four years. There was a little hiccup in the 1940s, 1947-48, that led to perhaps mm. one of the most uh, important uh, um, reforms, and that was the abolition of the army. So Costa Rica and Switzerland are the only two countries in the world that do not have an army. That, in turn, created excess resources, or the use of resources was shifted into universal health care. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have open-heart surgery in Costa Rica at no cost. Now, you might have to wait, but you have no cost. And two, you have a free education as well in Costa Rica, which means um, our soldiers are uh, kids that carry a book, <laughs> not kids that carry an, uh, a weapon, an arm, um, which is very important in a, in a region that is very convulsed with neighbors such as Nicaragua that unfortunately is going through um, lots of problems, Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Panama at its uh, point uh, as well had problems with uh, um, Noriega, also known as the pineapple. And, and so it, it provides a very safe environment for doing business. It provides a very low risk of not having successful business practices should the business is profitable. It provides high security for the foreign corporate uh, individuals. Uh, they, in fact, get themselves involved in the community service, and they, they get involved in being, being seen everywhere and anywhere. Mm -hmm. so, so it's a very, very unique country with high levels of institutions, high levels of democracy, still with a lot of problems, don't get me wrong, ports and airport are requiring uh, uh, more investment. Infrastructure also requires more investment. And, and workers tend to be more expensive in Costa Rica than elsewhere, even though they have more productivity, they tend to be more expensive. Which brings me to the obvious question, since you mentioned investment. Foreign direct investment is an important uh, vehicle for emerging markets. So how important is FDI, foreign direct investment, in the Costa Rican economy? I would say that FDI is essential. Not mm -hmm. only important, it's essential. And it is essential because if, you, if we go all the way back to the 50s where we identify the savings gap, there is an issue with mm -hmm. savings gap. Yeah. There is a lack of resources to propel the economy to the next level. Uh, in a different paper, I wrote uh, about the, the natural resource curse, and that is the you know economies that extract tend not to reinvest a lot. In an economy that is based on agriculture, that is based on tourism, tend to reinvest very little. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, being a small open economy, you have to generate enough foreign exchange so that you can then repay for all that you buy, mm -hmm. predominantly fuel, oil. Uh, Costa Rica doesn't have oil, even though there's some conversations to start digging to find it because Guyana just found oil recently and they have, trip, uh, they have grown by five times fall in the last two or three years. Uh, but that's not the case of Costa Rica. And so having that attraction of foreign direct investment supplements, on the one hand, the savings gap, but the question then is, and I'm going to have a question within the question is, is that enough, right? Mm. And the, the argument is, it's enough to restart exporting, but more importantly, is it enough to transmit high levels of technology coming from for direct investment, what we call you know, knowledge spillover effects that are led by FDI, foreign direct investment, and then 
what is the level of interaction that that foreign direct investment creates in backward and forward linkages and then horizontal linkages as well. And so that's that's the key element. Yeah, so that really brings me to the question of uh, the local ecosystem of suppliers. Because the theory is, if a multinational comes to a country, uh, by working with local suppliers, they will not only provide jobs and improve the economy, but start whether they intend to or not, start transferring technology. So can you tell me a little bit about the local ecosystem? Absolutely. Yeah. You bring another very important concept. And in fact, we were talking about this uh, three days ago at a conference that we had in New Orleans where we invited well-known uh, economists in the field. And, and the question relates, right, and it is uh, ecosystems. You know, is it just one company operating or do we have the built-up of suppliers, labor that does provide, plus the institutions, right, which is part of the ecosystems, the access to market. And what we observe here is the ecosystems provide the following. The Most of the FDI that goes to Costa Rica has been attracted through a, a mechanism that is known as the export processing zones, mm -hmm. also known in Spanish as zona francas. It's a specific regime that gives the companies, the, the multinationals, benefits to not pay taxes for a, for a period of time, mm -hmm. to build in a particular location, easy access to the airport, access to energy, with the condition that everything that they produce has to be exported. 100%. 100% has to be exported, in which means that they are technically Costa Rican companies, even though they might be subsidiaries of a foreign company, Step one, step two, there are Costa Rican companies that enter into the system to export. So now they are into the exporting regime. To export, the, now you have to see the company as a Costa Rican company entering into other markets. Hence, the potentiality that tra the trade agreements bring into this is also another element of the ecosystem because Costa Rica is extremely well positioned with the U.S., main trading partner, Europe's second set of, uh, of trading partners because we have free trade agreements that allows then those companies to re-export either to headquarters or to other companies that will buy the product. So, so that component of the mm, ecosystem mm. is important. But back to your question on the local suppliers. Multinationals that enter in Costa Rica get access to two things. One is labor because all the workers that are working for these multinationals are Costa Ricans. They are they reside in Costa Rica, they are Costa Ricans, they get paid in Costa Rican colonies, mm. even though they could be paid in US dollars because the two currencies now can run. And that's a story for another day. Um, but the, the two currencies can coexist. And what is happening is multinationals are looking back into domestic suppliers that have now to produce higher quality products so that they can sell to these export processing uh, zones companies and then they can put them within their production process and then re-export. In other words, companies that are multinationals operating within the export processing zone have higher standards of production because they will not buy whatever other companies are producing for the local market. They have to differentiate their products so that then there is an exporting step within Costa Rica to the export processing zone Value added is 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 added. You know, uh, forgive my redundancy by the multinationals, mm -hmm. and then re-export it out. So the ecosystem is developing uh, health right. in a healthy way, um, and we'll and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so you know, in the U.S. there's been a lot of interest in reconfiguring supply chains, global supply chains, and growing interest in friend shoring and near shoring. So how does that improve or positively affect what you've just been talking about? Oh, uh, the in the case of Costa Rica, we're working on a project. We were lucky enough to enter into a, a 
uh, an agreement with uh, the export with the uh, in foreign direct investment attraction agency. The name mm-hmm. is Cindy in in Spanish. Cindy mm. uh, has been working for about forty years and is currently ranked as the number one foreign direct investment uh, mm-hmm. agency in the world. Now, Costa Rica is the per capita is the country that now has the highest FDI in mm-hmm. the world. Not over not overall because it's a small economy, but but it's it's very interesting because being a democracy. Being a long, long partner with the U.S., having you know a very good political relationships with the United States, makes Costa Rica be the prime friend mm-hmm. within the region. So not only is Costa Rica close because it's in the same time zone, changing from mountain in central time with the U.S., it is in the same latitude with almost with you know Boston, Pennsylvania, definitely same exact latitude. It's very easy access. It has connectivity with most uh, um, airports in the U.S., main airports. Mm-hmm. And so it provides the, the opportunity for American companies to look south and find a place that is very friendly. Let me give an example. COVID came in mm-hmm. 2019. A lot of firms are closing down. There is a problem with access to the factories. Workers cannot, cannot get to work. Uh, the U.S. was one of the first countries where you can have two vaccines and then sh- soon after three vaccines, so you can go back to work if you so want to. Costa Rica was the first country in Latin America to have two vaccines, mm-hmm. which means workers can now go back to the to the manufacturer and or mm-hmm. workers in most of the workers that were, that were working for multinationals were able to work from home because Costa Rica has a 95% coverage on the electricity doesn't matter where you are, you have a stable mm-hmm. electricity and it has right about the same coverage with internet access. And this is fast internet access. So you have both the internet access, you have the electricity, you have the human capital, you happen to be friends with the US. And so the result of that was, instead of seeing a decline in, in, in foreign direct, uh, in multinationals going to Costa Rica during the pandemic, mm-hmm. The number of, of multinationals more than double within the period of 2020, 21, and 22. So has this uh, improved productivity because of the growing number of multinationals it, beginning to work with Costa Rican firms? It has. It mm. has. But it has also created a dual labor market. Mm. And so here the question is, if you are one of the employees that works for the companies in the uh, um, export processing zones that represented about four or five months ago 17% of all the employment in Costa Rica. One seven. One seven percent uh-huh. of employment with a, a wage premium of about 40 to 45% more than outside the regime. It means that you have a dual economy in which working for the multinationals, which by the way, if you apply to the multinationals and your CV does not say that you speak English, you're not going to get it. Mm. So English is a requirement, even though we're not in a in a, in a dual-lingual you know, uh, economy. So there has been increasing productivity. Uh, the examples uh, afloat. Mm. When Intel got to Costa Rica back in 95, uh, one of the questions was, could Costa Ricans catch up with Malaysia and the U.S.? What turns out to be four weeks into the opening, Costa Rica was 80% level of productivity. Two months after it was open, Costa Rica had more productivity than Malaysia, so now they flipped the game. Now Malaysia has to really catch up to the productivity level, um, So, mm. which speaks to, to the issue of the, the, the quality of education that Costa Ricans receive with the right incentives. What we have demonstrated is that Costa Ricans could be very productive, but right. that foreign direct investment was necessary. 
because they were still there. They were not as productive. Now with the competition, they have become very productive. So yes, indeed. So now you you just refer to Intel and semiconductors. What uh, other sectors of the economy is foreign capital, multinationals, what are they attracted to? Medical equipment, medical big equipment. time medical equipment. Mm -hmm. We have uh, the big names are there. Of course, Bayer is there. Mm -hmm. In fact, Bayer two years ago invested $2 million on a new plant. Uh, no coincidence that it was next to Hologic and across from medical uh, um, establishment labs or two other big medical equ equipment companies. Two doors down, meaning two pro export processing zones, Boston Scientific is there. Um, and it has one of the largest operations. Boston Scientific just opened a new plant. They invested last week, two weeks ago, they invested $120 million in a new plant, and they are uh, hiring 2,600 new uh, workers for that one plant. Costa Rican in workers. Costa Rica, all Costa Rican workers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so those are some of the examples of big companies. Amazon is there, all the calling centers for Procter & Gamble, Citibank, mm -hmm. uh, all the collection mm -hmm. that the companies do for, for uh, payments from Citi happens in Costa Rica. Reuters is in Costa Rica. Right. And the list goes on and on. And mm -hmm. on. Um, but there's a paradox here because what you're saying is because of the premium and the export processing zones and more multinationals coming in, clearly costs are going up. Yeah, right? absolutely. Wage costs are going up. Absolutely. And you mentioned the Cologne and the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar has become very, very strong. So how does that play in? Will the rising costs affect the willingness uh, to grow by multinational investment in Costa Rica? There has to be an exchange rate effect there. But this is, this mm. is the interesting part. The Costa mm. Rican Cologne has gotten much, much stronger against the U.S. dollar in the last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, east, before it was trading at 700, seven, about 700 colones per, per U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. Today it's trading at 540. There has been a significant revaluation of the Costa Rican cologne against mm -hmm. the, the U.S. dollar. So appreciation, really. Appreciation of the Costa Rican cologne, yeah, depreciation yeah. of the U.S. dollar against the Costa Rican cologne, which is mm -hmm. which is incredibly, uh, uh, um, is rare. Mm -hmm. It's very rare. In fact, you know, I keep a house in Costa Rica and I have to make the payments for the services. And what I see is those expenses are going up significantly because I earn in dollars and I have to pay in Costa Rican colonies. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, there is an issue there with, mm -hmm. you know, wages, you know, in real terms going up significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 of course, wages are rigid downwards and yeah. because they're written in Costa Rican colonies, they're not going to go down. Uh, companies have to pay more in dollars you know, for the same workers. Mm -hmm. Yet, you still observe more companies coming in, which makes you think mm -hmm. that the gains in productivity, the gains in stability, mm -hmm. the gains in access and security of delivering those products, not having the logistics problems that you had before, outweigh mm -hmm. the, the, cost the, the cost of structure that you have now. That said, Costa Rica is becoming an expensive country. There is no doubt about that. It's an expensive country. Uh, time to open and close businesses is long. Mm. It is not like in you know Singapore, Malaysia, where it's a, a matter of hours, right? Um, but the stability mm -hmm. does pay off. And I think that's what the companies are really looking into. Yes, I might make a little bit less, but I'm not making that. So the fear of sudden volatility is reduced. Yes. So now earlier you referred to uh, foreign companies coming in and then being registered as national companies. Correct. Uh, is that something that multinationals mind doing, having to register as national Costa Rican companies? And what are the advantages they gain by doing that? Well, the technicality is right. You are a multinational. Mm -hmm. uh, either you are opening up one your first firm there or mm -hmm. a subsidiary. Mm -hmm. But since you are entering an export processing zone, mm -hmm. you have to be a national to export. Uh, so you have okay. to be registered in the national registry. Mm -hmm. Now, 
It is very difficult, and I would say close to impossible to know whether this is a Costa Rican firm mm -hmm. or a subsidiary that is being registered by just looking at the ID number of the company. However, we have, as I said, we, we, we are lucky to have the database with country of origin. So we can split those companies that are multinationals from X country, typically mm -hmm. the United States is the largest, or multinationals that are Costa Rican origin. Mm. And in fact, what we have observed is in the last 20 years or so, the number of Costa Rican multinationals that could be fresh companies and or suppliers that move up mm. into the export processing zone has also increased. And today, the two largest countries with multinationals exporting out of Costa Rica are U.S. and Costa Rica, which then speaks of the further issue of foreign direct investment, which is the development of local entrepreneurship activities. Which is what you want as a country. What is, what is exactly what you want. The first the first wave, which is attract foreign direct investment and export, that you can do even if you are extracting minerals or bananas. But when you start seeing the second wave in two forms, higher wages, higher productivity, and then you start seeing that local companies start bubbling up as multinationals, in entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial activity is developing, mm -hmm. now you can actually make the case and say these spillovers are really you know, uh, important. And that matters because the literature on mm -hmm. the role of FDI and knowledge spillover effects and trade has been uh, inconclusive, to, 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 to put it nicely. Mm -hmm. Because in some cases you get some effects, in some cases you don't get the effects, right. in some cases you do not develop those linkages, in some cases it becomes the, the old theories of uh, uh, um, dominance and capitalism and extraction and dependency, and, and, and you want to move away from those, and you want to move into the, into the theories of uh, there is growth, there is uh, endogenous spillovers that happen, there is local entrepreneurship taking place, and of course, at the end of the day, what we really want is that the well-being of individuals goes up and not only you know, a, a handful of people. So I'm leaning more towards the second part. The evidence is, is convincing me mm. that despite the fact that there is issues with infrastructure, there is still issues with corruption, there are still issues with the uh, cost of uh, opening up a business, mm -hmm. Uh, higher high, higher wages, more foreign exchange, better jobs, uh, very turnaround out of the pandemic, and then the development of local firms is all signals that this is working. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then this also it goes to the next point, which is regionalism within the region. Mm -hmm. and in, in, in Latin America, you have three clear you know, regions, Mexico being one on itself, Brazil being the other one, and the rest of the countries being the other region that is highly you know, disintegrated. Mm -hmm. And so we think that the model that Costa Rica is, pu is pushing forward could be copied by the rest of the Central American economies. Uh, some spillovers are happening in Guatemala and Salvador, Honduras, also in Dominican Republic, in Colombia, uh, um, potentially more should the problems in Venezuela were not there at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, so, that, so that is showing mm -hmm. that Fill that with nearshoring and friendshoring, mm -hmm. and I think you can start you know, with uh, you can start looking at who the winners may be of of, of these mm -hmm. uh, reshuffling markets. And what is the role of uh, politicians, and to some extent Costa Rican managers, in supporting a free trade environment, which increases competition, but also allows these technology spillovers to happen, mm -hmm. knowledge, technology transfer to happen? Like any other thing, there is also controversy. Mm -hmm. there, are, there was actually a referendum in Costa Rica to uh, abolish 
the free trade agreement with the United States or not a few years back. Mm. Um, those in favor won, you know, mm. luckily for Costa Rica, because uh, uh, alternatively, it, that will have created tremendous complications to export. And, and so if you are into the entrepreneurial you know, segment of the economy, you're much mm-hmm. more likely to support it. But if you are into the old school of what I what I call, we call in Costa Rica, the theory of the pobrecito, mm. the pobrecito means, oh, poor little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the question perhaps is, is best answered. In the old days, if you had a problem, typically the question was, how is the government going to solve this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Today, that, that mentality is shifting into, I have a problem, what can I do to solve it? And that is the entrepreneur type of, that is the person that wants to take on the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have a lot of people that are wage workers that work for the government, that most likely will end up you know, all their life working for the government. And that makes it expensive. But we have seen a transformation in terms of people welcoming more competition. Mm-hmm. As I said, we remain as uh, uh, um, the strongest democracy. We have had hiccups with the left, mm. you know, bubbling up. And we have had issues with governments not doing their job and being quite dysfunctional. And despite all that, the attractiveness of the country uh, remains above and beyond the rest of the countries in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Now, one can argue Yes, you're playing with all the countries in that league. What will happen if you play with countries in other leagues? Well, back to the to the to the reference that I had that I mentioned earlier. Per capita wise, Costa Rica is the country with the highest foreign direct investment in the world. The exp- the, the, the foreign direct investment attraction agency is the number one in the world, and we have in, we have observed a significant increase in number of firms coming to Costa Rica post-COVID, but prior to COVID, but COVID actually accelerated mm. that entrance. Now, that could be the problem of now I have too many good things at once, right? Mm-hmm. And that might create bottlenecks on the other end. Um, but I think those are good problems to have. Mm-hmm. I have a problem because I have to export more. What do I do? Instead of uh, I need to export, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful success story. Uh, workers are getting more productive. Knowledge is being transferred. Domestic companies are becoming sufficiently uh, quality and productivity oriented that they can actually start e- directly exporting rather than yes, selling to the multinationals. Um, what about universities and uh, other sources of knowledge? Do That's, multinationals work, uh, aside from working with good local suppliers, do they also work with government agencies and universities in a positive manner? Unfortunately, not as much. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, the missing links mm-hmm. that Costa Rica has. Now, Costa Rica has uh, a large number of universities, has one of the largest uh, universities in Central America, 48,000 students. I graduated from it, University of Costa Rica. It's excellent, you know, excellent workers, excellent students, let mm-hmm. me put it this way, many of which uh, are educated to become government officials, not entrepreneurs. And that mentality has to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is the um, Technological Institute that does train a lot of uh, you know, um, IT people, mm-hmm. uh, engineers, IT in general. Uh, there are a lot of private universities. They have bubbled tremendously. There is about 40 of those uh, in the country, very small, but they, they are. Uh, with the problem that the level of interaction between firms and universities is not as strong. Mm-hmm. It's more on an individual level that this will happen than a systematic uh, process by which firms and universities you know, come together. Part of the mentality, I think, has to do with, uh, I want to remain independent, universities, I want to remain independent, I don't want to be told what to teach, instead of having more cooperation with the private sector. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, uh, um, 
I have been in very close conversations with the president director of the University of Costa Rica, and he uh, he's a scientist and he's pushing the agenda, and we are on the same length, length wave, and we believe that the integration with the, product, mm-hmm. the, the, the productive sector of the economy is a must-do. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a big vessel that you have to, sh- to turn, mm. and it takes some time. Um, the quality is there. The connections are not. So would you like to uh, tell our audience one or two success stories? Uh, because that's always very interesting to hear, a specific company and how it's done, a Costa Rican company perhaps in this environment of growing free trade, more multinational mm-hmm. investment, and uh, beginning to export more. Well, one of the biggest success has been mm-hmm. Establishment Labs. Establishment Labs, labs. a medical, me- medical equipment company, mm-hmm. um, is geographically across the street from Hologic and Cutty Corner from Bayer. In fact, Bayer came because Establishment Lab was there. So geography and geolocation play, play, mm-hmm. play a, a, a big success, big, big part of the success story. Mm-hmm. It's a company that is thriving, you know, it's doing, it's doing uh, amazing things. Uh, the case of, of Costa Rica development in the dual core and Pentium design in Costa Rica is, uh, is a, another successful story of the quality of the engineers. In fact, a very good friend of mine, um, classmate since kindergarten, mm-hmm. one day I asked him, you know, he worked for Intel, what do you do for, for a living? He says, I, I play with fire. <laughs> and I said, what, what? He said, you work for Intel. What do you mean you play for fire? No, I play with fire. And I said, well, you have to explain me more. And he said, we develop, you know, um, microchips, and we put them to the test until they catch on fire. And then we go back and redo the, the you know, the rework. The design. The yeah. design until they don't. And then they're ready for the market. And, uh, and so there is that mentality. I also observed the success of the uh, dairy company that has transformed itself from a local exclusively local companies selling milk products into one of the largest exporting milk companies in the world. Costa Rica has an, a, an, an excess supply of milk, which is a very rare thing to have. And so that's another very success story on, on that end. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, local companies that have developed uh, improvements in products that, uh, that were not required to do, but they did. For instance, there's another company called Samtech. Samtech has headquarters in Indiana, and they pr- and they produce connectors, all sorts of connectors that you find. And the company has developed two machines in-house uh, to speed up the process and be able to serve better the American market uh, with local mm-hmm. you know, uh, capabilities to do it. And, and these are just a few of the companies that I have observed that do that do mm-hmm. you know very unique things that that talk about. We can do what they tell us to do, but now we can actually improve the process. Mm-hmm. And now new machinery, new processes are being created, uh, even though that was not the original mandate. Uh, and to me, that speaks of the capacities to develop uh, new ideas and then mm-hmm. take them to market. Uh, we got to remember here what Schumpeter said. It's not only having an idea, is can you commercialize that idea? Yes. And it's not only who creates the idea, is who benefits from the idea. And so we move from Schumpeter to Romer, and Romer saying that, you know, we're going to create a market in which the ideas are going to be sold, and then the, own, the, the creators of the ideas are the ones making the money, and because through competition, you know, those that are commercializing aren't going to have too much. And then you move forward a little bit more and say, well, no, you can actually be the creator, and you can take it to market, and then you can, you can make money out of that. Mm-hmm. I think Costa Rica is approaching that. Um, and again, it's not all rosy, right? There is a dual economy, unemployment remains high for those that are not in that sector. Uh, there is problems with infrastructure. I cannot emphasize that. There is problems with fiscal deficit. There is problems with external debt payment as well. A significant amount of interest payment on debt. All those are issues that need to be resolved. And then there are other issues that we have not spoken yet, and that is the infiltration of cartels in Costa Rica 
precisely because it's a very peaceful country, very easy to infiltrate, and so Mexican cartels coming back down to Costa Rica and then back up to the U.S. Because it's easier to cross, instead of going through the border, go back down south and then back up north. So those issues also um, come with, you know, the, the stability of the country and the peacefulness and the mentality that Costa Ricans have the, of pura vida, which means everything is always fine. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, yeah, but, it's, but I think it's a great story uh, of transformational economy mm-hmm. that went from having three, four things that were extraction into value added, into use of human capital, and then uh, perhaps to me the biggest opportunity is there is a push now to continue improving the levels of education in Costa Rica and if we grab that opportunity, I think the, the quality of education is going to be you know, second to none. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And I think my last question to you is, is Costa Rica a unique story? Or can other small emerging economies, the ones you mentioned, mm-hmm. for example, in Central America or in the Caribbean or uh, in Asia, can other small com- economies copy Costa Rica, or is this something that's very difficult to do? I, from being in, a, being in academia, mm. I would like to see the example of Costa Rica being replicated, mm-hmm. becoming the hub for for those models. But there's one one and two conditions that I think are essential. And mm-hmm. one of those is democracy. Democracy and peace need to be secure for firms to feel that they can go there. Without those two elements, a few will do it, but it's really, really challenging. That stability you get from democratic governments, whether you agree or not, left or right, uh, and then you start moving the pendulum closer to the center instead of having big swings to the left, which we have seen a lot in Latin America. And now we're seeing a huge swing to the right in Argentina. Um, you know, Those swings are always dangerous. And so finding a, a center of action that is much more stable, I wish I could say that all countries abolish the army, Uh, that's not going to happen. And then investment in human capital, I think those are key conditions if you want to have an economy-wide betterment of the population. Elsewhere, what you get is uh, a larger disparity. Those that can be educated become wealthy. Mm -hmm. Those that fall behind are going to be left behind further. And that gap opens. And when you you have no middle class because there is no middle class, I don't think a success story could 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 be achieved. So we are mm-hmm. preserving and giving opportunities, creating those opportunities through the spillovers, uh, I believe is essential. Others can do it, absolutely, um, but stability is key. If I may add one sure. more thing, mm-hmm. and I forgot, Costa Rica recently became part of the OECD. Of the OECD. The OECD, and is one of the very, very few smallest countries that is now part of the OECD, which means now we have higher standards that would allow us to enter markets because we have to comply and maintain the status. And I think that's one of the, the biggest accomplishments mm-hmm. uh, in terms of positioning a small economy. I think it's the smallest of all the economies that is now part of the, of the part OECD. Of the OECD. Yes, yeah. And in case uh, you're wondering, OECD stands for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and uh, Development. Yes, I wanted to thank you for uh, listening to us and to this fascinating conversation about small countries trying to become economically developed. Uh, As you know, this is part of a series of podcasts all concerned with international business. If you've enjoyed this and want to hear more, do subscribe to our International Business Today podcast series. And I hope to see you again uh, when we discuss other fascinating aspects of doing global business. Thank you. This was Ravi Sarathi and my guest Gustavo Barbosa.